BNP's 2023 stock market forecast. It's Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. This is my last episode of the year, the final installment of Season 1. I'll kick off Season 2 on Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. In this last episode of the year, I want to delve into a 2023 market forecast that's garnered widespread coverage and break down why it may not come to pass as predicted. Last week, French investment bank BNP Paribas published a report claiming that if history repeats, U.S. stocks will need to take another leg down next year before this bear market ends. Strategists led by Greg Butle, the head of U.S. equity and derivatives, expect what they call a capitulation event next year. Now, that's just a final straw kind of of decline that shakes out investors who just can't take it anymore. That would be the capitulation. And a lot of declines, corrections, bear markets end that way. They'll go down steadily a little bit more. Investors start out by thinking they're going to stick it out. They're going to they're going to hang in there. And then as the market keeps declining, their, their patience wears thin. And then when, just when it seems like they should be going back up, stocks go down again and people finally think, the heck with it. They're never going to recover. And they sell out in a big way. That's one final spike lower. And that's the capitulation. They give up, right? And that's what, what Greg Bootle and his team at BNP think is in store for next year. They wrote in their report, this would, quote, this would be a departure from the current bear market regime, which has been characterized by a grind lower in equities as PE multiples have contracted, end quote. So their their point is that, that stocks won't just keep going down steadily as they've done all this year. It'll be a big waterfall crash event. They warn that the COVID crash of March 2020, which is still very much in, in investors' minds, is a bad model for thinking about the current bear market because it was such a one-off with the artificial shutdown of the economy and then quick support from the Fed and government. I agree that thinking of of every crash, every bear market as as following the script of March 2020 is a bad idea. We, but we've already we've already seen that this isn't that, right? I mean, the the March 2020 COVID crash was one and done in a month. I mean, it went down dramatically and and it was going down at such a dramatic pace that people panicked thinking, "Holy smokes, if the market is down this much in just 3 weeks, what's it going to be like 3 months from now?" Just extrapolating out the the same downward progression going for much longer. And that's not how it went. It, it ended after just a month because it, it's true that, that the Federal Reserve and government came roaring onto the scene and propped everything back up in a very big way that, that many analysts now uh, pin the blame on for the current inflation that, that the Fed and other central banks are dealing with. So BMP says we shouldn't think of this as the COVID crash of March 2020. And I agree with that. I, I don't know how anyone could disagree with that, given that we're now nine months into this bear market and the March 2021 was over in a month. So it seems sort of self-evident, pre- pretty obvious that we're not we're not in another COVID crash situation. Well, they went through a different uh, a, a couple different bear markets, suggesting also, for example, that the 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 subprime mortgage crash was also not a good model for the current bear market. 
cutting to the chase, they think the best model for this bear market is the one of 2002 because that was a typical recession-driven crash. That 2002 bear market dragged out for more than two years with a drawdown of 50% and a 29 percentage point peak to trough move in the CBOE volatility index, that's the VIX. A typical recession bear market, according to their report, is one and a half years in length with a median drawdown of 38% and a median peak in the VIX of 40.5. Where, where are we now? Let's turn to the VIX for a moment. Let me just pull it up here. The, the, the current VIX, we are, as, as I go to tape, so to speak, um, on, on this Wednesday, the VIX is at 22.6. And if we look at a chart for the, the whole year, we, we see that its, its peak so far has been, has been about 36 back in March. That's when this really got going. Uh, 36 back in March. And th that was its peak for the year. It, it got up to 35 in May. And it, it got up to 34 in October. And that's really what, what the, the BMP team is looking at, saying, well, it hasn't, it hasn't gone up enough. And oh, just, just a quick recap, the, the higher the VIX goes, that means the more volatility there is. It's considered the fear gauge. So if we're going to get a capitulation event, you would expect the VIX to be way up there. Now, back in the subprime mortgage crash, it went over 80. Uh, that, that's, that's the worst financial crisis I've ever seen. And it did show up in, in the VIX. We're, we're nowhere close to that. And BNP is not calling us to get anywhere close to that. They're saying that, that the median peak in the VIX is 40.5. And, you know, the highest we got in this cycle so far was last March's 36. And I, something just to note right here is that the VIX is not a clear, direct indicator of where the market's going to go. I mean, back in March was the VIX peak. I mean, if it was a clear indicator, that should have been the, the stock market low, Right. But it wasn't nowhere, nowhere close to it. The stocks kept going down. They had they made a, a big low in June, and they made two other lows: one at the end of September and one in mid October. Those are the three low low points of the year, and they they don't coincide with the highest VIX of the year. So keep that in mind. We are dealing with forecasting here, which is a zero validity activity with <laughs> very low reliability. Coming back to what they they are predicting. From their report, quote, if we apply those averages to the market today, the, the ones I just went through with you, it implies a trough in the middle of next year with the S&P bottoming close to 3,000 and with the VIX in the low 40s, they say, end quote. That, that, that's what we were just talking about. The, the median peak of the VIX is 40.5. So they're saying it's going to have to get up to 40-ish in low 40s there before we're going to see a bottom in the market. And their, their market bottom they're calling for is 3,000. The, the S&P 500 is 4,033 as I speak. So, um, you know, talking about a 25% a, a decline from here which would be quite a capitulation event. So that's one reason that this forecast drew a lot of attention. Another is that it, it's, it's presenting historical parallels. And anytime a forecast comes with, with thick evidence of historical grounding, it's more believable to people. And right now, many investors are open to bearish predictions because we're this far into a bear market already, and there's a, a, a pessimistic 
disposition across the land and people are more open to thinking that bad is going to get worse than they are to thinking it's going to get better. And part of that is that we've had so many false daybreaks along the way. I suppose I could be guilty of that. I, I, I tend to have a sunny optimi- optimistic disposition. And that's something that serves all investors well, given that stocks rise two-thirds of the time. But we're in a one-third of the time now. And during that one-third of the time, after many people say, it'll get better, it'll get better, things will get better, and then they don't get better, people get jaded and cynical, and they, they take any sort of idea that things will get better as, with, with, a, with a grain of salt. So they're more open to bearish predictions. And this is, this is a good one in the sense that it's well-researched, it's based on history, it's presented by a, a valid source, and people are taking it seriously. However... We should ask ourselves, could anything derail it? Sure. And I'll look at some bullish counter ideas next. The first thing to bear in mind is that forecasts routinely draw on historical lessons for guidance and are nonetheless wrong half the time. Remember that the mistake rate for financial forecasts is slightly more than 50%. So slightly worse than a coin toss, despite many of them being built on the lessons of history. Analysts do this all the time. I do it too. Where where else are we going to turn? Lessons of the future? We don't have those. We're trying to figure out the current moment. And so the only thing to really look at is the past, what parallels exist. And so the presence of historical comparison in a forecast is not unusual at all. So right up front, you need to just set that aside. Okay, yes, BNP Paribas put out a forecast for next year based on market history, and it looks pretty bad. Fine, but there are many forecasts based on market history that don't look bad. And the the reason that forecasts have a mistake rate that's slightly more than 50%, even though they're built on past experience, is that the past is not necessarily indicative of the future. Right, The way it went last time is not necessarily how it will go this time. Many investment brochures, investment prospectuses even point that out. Past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. And even BNP's own reasoning includes past bear market precedents that they suggest we ignore, thereby revealing that it goes a little differently each time based on what? Right. I mean, they did talk about it. They said, now we're going to look at past bear markets, but don't think that the current one is at all like the one of March 2020 or at all like the one of 2008. No, no. The one it's like is the one of 2002. And based on what? Well, we don't really know. Many factors, of course, but even in retrospect, it's hard to say exactly why stocks did what they did in any given cycle. And that's the second thing to bear in mind. Nobody can know what offsetting factors will appear in the weeks ahead, much less months ahead. For instance, some analysts said last summer that history suggested this autumn would bring a rousing rally based on, you guessed it, the lessons of history. To pull one example from many, in note 26 sent to subscribers on June 26, that's note 26 of the Kelly letter, sent to subscribers last June 26th, I presented good odds from market history, courtesy of Ryan Dietrich. He's the chief market strategist at San Diego-based LPL Financial, which is the largest independent broker dealer in the United States. So again, a credible source, and again, market history. 
so these parallels match the, the BNP Paribas report quite nicely. In his report, three reasons it is so bad it is good. Dietrich reported that the S&P 500 is down 21% for the year, which would be the worst first half to any year since 1970, he wrote. As bad as that has been for investors, the good news is previous years that were down at least 15% at the midway point to the year saw the final six months higher every single time with an average return of nearly 24%. And he included tables of data showing that since 1928, all of these January to June declines of more than 15% were followed by gains in the second half of the year, the average being that aforementioned nearly 24% and the median being 15.3%. Pretty good, right? And this was was one of those sunny moments, false dawns, as it were, along the way in this year's bear market, giving people a reason to hold on or, as our plans did, buy more shares of stock in the, the beginning of July, shortly after that June low. Did we get that median performance of the stock market or the nearly 24% performance of, of the stock market from Dietrich's historical study? No. That powerful bounce was not in the cards this year. From June 26th, when I wrote about it, to last Friday, so a little over five months, here's how the major indexes fared this year. They are changed since June 26th in percent. Dow up 6.3, NASDAQ down 5.2, NASDAQ 100 down 4.5, S&P 500 up 0.6, S&P 400 up 5.8, S&P 600 up 3. What did it? We could blame it on Fed Chair Jerome Powell's pain speech in August. That's when he said that more tightening lay ahead and that it would cause pain. That's why it has that nickname. The Fed did tighten more and stocks declined to new lows for the year, which could qualify as pain. But stocks did not get their historical strong second half of the year after their their weak first half of the year. And there were other other forecasts that included historical precedents, such as after midterm elections, stock do, stocks do really well. Third year of a presidential cycle, stocks do really well. Based on various factors, in the past, there was quite a bit of, of evidence suggesting that we would have a much stronger stock market this fall than we got. One takeaway from that could be that, all right, we didn't get the strong performance we were supposed to have in the second half of 2022, so maybe we'll get a stronger performance in 2023 than the evidence looked at by BMP Paribas suggests. Kind of like the evidence looked at by Ryan Dietrich didn't come through for this fall, maybe the evidence looked at by BMP Paribas will not come through for next year. This fall we did worse than Dietrich's evidence suggested. Next year we may do better than BNP's evidence suggested suggests. As, as far as what went wrong this, this fall, so to speak, I don't really know that stock market fluctuation can be wrong or right. It just moves around. But anyway, if we're looking for what we can blame for the stock market not doing as well this fall as many historical forecasts suggest that it would. It was monetary policy that did it, yes, but monetary policy was driven by persistent inflation. So we could say that surprisingly, this is key, right? We could say that surprisingly, persistent inflation caused the stocks to behave in a surprising way this fall. Look at all the surprise in there. Then the point being, what if we get a surprise again? 
And what if it's in the positive direction? Inflation is cooling. Just yesterday, much anticipated November CPI came in softer than consensus on both headline and core measures. The headline was up 7.1% on year, which is still high, but that's its lowest since last December. We're making major progress on the inflation front, and everybody sees it. Several prominent figures expect inflation to cool considerably, including Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She said on 60 Minutes last weekend, quote, I believe inflation will be lower in 2023. I am very hopeful that the labor market will remain quite healthy so that people can feel good about their finances and their personal economic situation, end quote. So what exactly are the, the parallels between the 2002 bear market and now? It wasn't an inflation fight then. It wasn't a monetary policy situation then. Yes, there was recession involved, but the, the, the current recession status is very much in debate, and as is inflation. We, have, we, we really don't know whether we're going to go into recession, whether we already went into recession, what inflation is going to do. There are so many unknowns here that to, to look back at one bear market among many, the one in 2002, and say that, wow, that one took this long and the VIX had to get this high and stocks had to go this low. Therefore, we're going to do that. Seems pretty selective to me. There are a lot of other factors unique to this, maybe not totally unique, but, but distinctive to this moment we're in right now. I, actually, it is, it is pretty different. Coming off the pandemic, which was an artificial, the, the COVID crash was artificially induced. So now central banks are having to unwind what they wound, which is different. We do have inflation, but it's not the transient type the Fed talked about. It's more entrenched than they thought or anybody thought. Why is that? Well, apparently it's not because of supply chain issues that were caused by the artificial shutdown. Something else is happening. That's also being debated. People do have a lot of money. They keep spending because the government firehosed money out there. That's a little bit different. So many moving parts here to look back at something 20 years ago and say, uh-huh, we're going to follow that script is pretty blinded in my view. Now we could say, well, all right, Janet, Janet Yellen thinks in, inflation is coming down. The actual reports show inflation coming down, but inflation forecasts are old news. And one could argue that the debate has gone stale. Yes, inflation is coming down and will keep coming down, but will this surprise anybody? Well, actually, it might, given that the pace remains an issue of debate, but something outside of the current cone of discussion might figure more prominently. While it could be anything, I want to take a look at one biggie in particular. The Switzerland-based Bank for International Settlements, BIS, is nicknamed the Central Bank for Central Banks. It was established in 1930 by an intergovernmental agreement between Germany, Belgium, France, the United Kingdom, Italy, Japan, the United States, and Switzerland. It opened its doors in Basel, Switzerland in May 1930. From its About page, quote, the BIS fosters international monetary and financial cooperation and serves as a bank for central banks, end quote. So that's who it is, and here's why it attracted attention earlier this month. It warned that pension funds and other non-bank financial entities now owe more than, get ready for this, 
$80 trillion in off-balance sheet debt in the form of FX swaps. These are currency swaps between these, these entities. Prior to its later support, the BIS was urging central banks to squash inflation. Get on it, guys. Get on it, guys. But now it's backing off of that to warn about this so-called FX swap blind spot that could leave policymakers in a fog, in its own words. Trillions of obligations could go haywire in this new higher interest rate environment. And analysts have warned about this in other parts of the financial system, too, sometimes as vaguely as saying something's going to break, something's going to break, which (laughs) somewhat of an evergreen observation on life, isn't it? Don't you worry, something's going to break. And that's sort of what the BIS is saying here, that, hey, look, interest rates are pretty high, something is going to break. And one thing that we're quite worried about is this $80 trillion axe hanging over the financial system's head. The BIS said it can't know for sure how far central banks will go in their tightening because they don't control them, but the tightening campaign is closer to the end than the beginning. It said seemingly as a way to say, uh, we're, we're almost out of this tunnel, nothing's broken yet, so hey, maybe we'll get lucky here. But they're worried. Now, my, my goal here is not to unpack the inner workings of the BIS or indeed the whole FX swap system. I don't want to make a conjecture as to when these ungodly sums of debt are going to collide with higher interest rates in some way that causes calamity. My, my goal is to point out that non-mainstream issues lurk. You probably haven't heard about this, or if, if you, if, even if you did, you've noticed that it's not playing a prominent part in headlines. This is not something people are talking about on the street. Inflation, yes. Gas prices, yes. War in Ukraine, all that stuff is completely worked over by now. A lot of times what moves the financial markets in a big way is something out of the blue. And I'm pointing out that here's one example of something out of the blue that's really quite large, an $80 trillion issue. Huh. But is this warning from the BIS bad news? Who knows? FX swaps are not new after all. It's been a while since the world has dealt with a crisis involving them, and and maybe there won't be one this time. But one way that their looming presence could end up helping stocks is if the BIS manages to pressure central banks to back off of their tightening for fear of triggering a bigger crisis. We don't know what backroom discussions are taking place, but it's not hard to imagine somebody in Basel saying, hey, Federal Reserve... European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, everybody, all these central banks, you need to be aware that if you just keep cranking rates up at this rapid pace, you know something could break, and that thing that breaks could be big enough to cause a bigger crisis than the one you're trying to solve. So how about moderating here, seeing how things are going, and, and maybe <laughs> use the brake pedal for a little while, all right, well... Let's see, what is the right metaphor? <laughs> Switch back to the gas pedal from the brake pedal. Who knows? Um, we'll never know those discussions that take place, but the, the Fed is supposed to moderate this week. By the time you listen to this, they probably will already have announced a half-point rate hike instead of a, a uh, three-quarter point. And we may get a bigger slowdown because of this pressure from the BIS. That's not the only one. There are so many unknowns that there is simply no way for us to know which past bear market will serve as the model for this one. And that's that's where if if BMP Paribas went wrong in any way, I think it's placing too much emphasis on one bear market to say this is the one that emerges as the clear model for what we're dealing with. I don't think they can say that with any confidence. 
Next year, maybe inflation will cool faster than expected. Maybe some other factor will cause central banks to slow their tightening or even reverse it. And it's possible that those kind of developments could send stocks higher. As, I can't help interjecting, it is their historical tendency in the third year of the presidential cycle when Washington is gridlocked, as is the case now. So remember, other parts of history's lessons suggest stocks will be going higher, not lower. All we really know is that we're closer to recovery now than we were earlier in the year, and that's enough. Thank you for listening. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. Please subscribe to the podcast from any of the links at jasonkelly.com to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Did you know that I write an investing newsletter every Sunday? This is a great time to join it. We're still near the lows of the year, and that recovery that, that is, is, has been trying to gurgle its way to the top has not emerged in a big way yet. And according to BNP, it won't do so till next summer. We'll see who's right. The previous historical lessons or the newest historical lesson unveiled by BNP. To join us on this journey from quite low and appealing prices, please become a Kelly member, Kelly Letter member today at jasonkelly.com to start your own market-beating SIG plans. By the way, we are deep into small cap stocks, which are the current darlings of the analytical community. And we were onto this two decades ago. It's an evergreen investment theme that keeps working for us, and it seems to be coming back into the limelight now. Another reason I would love to see you on the list. Current subscribers, thank you as always for doing business with me. It's been an eventful year, but we're still there and we're going to have a, a better year in 2023, I'm sure. I'll see you on January 1st.